Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. We're going to have some conversations. So if you would, click that conversation button or click the link in the chat, and you're going to answer this question. What is that thing you said you will never do or that person you said you will never be like? Enjoy. Here we go. We're back. And I hope that you've had some amazing, amazing conversations. Um, and now begins this conversation with myself. But before I do that, let's recap previously on this adventure in, in Genesis with Abram. What did we learn already? That Abram left Babylon, which you can consider captivity, on a journey to the promised land or what we could say vision, or what we could say freedom. Um, Abraham was 75 years old when he started this journey. And when he left, he left with his father, and he left with his nephew. And in this journey, somewhere down the road, because they didn't make it to the promised land yet, they stopped in a town. And with that, I want to put up a scripture real quick. Uh, in this recap, let's go to Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 through chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur to the Chaldean, of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. And it's, I've underlined that and I've made it bold about that they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and died while still in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. The reason why I highlighted that is they were on their way from captivity, and we, in this journey of life and on our way to our vision or leaving these worst versions of ourselves headed towards a better version of ourselves, or however you want to look at that, whatever that dream, whatever that vision is, that Abram and his crew on this journey didn't take a pit stop. Now, as a, as a youth pastor, I've done a lot of road trips. Um, we... Uh, Annually, when we do uh, uh, the summer school that we do, we take several students on this uh, road trip from, uh, from here to Wyoming. And so, you know, when you're doing a road trip with that many teenagers, you're going to have to make a lot of stops. There's a difference between making a pit stop and settling. And so I want you to note this because we're going to come back to this in a moment, that it wasn't that they made a pit stop. It says they settled there. They settled there so long that Abram's father died there. So with that in mind, let's keep going into what would be today's passages that are found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 through verse 19. And it says, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he had lived as a foreigner. 
As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you girl are fine. <laughs> that was the Eric Johnson Black translation. Um, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, that is his wife. Let's kill him so that we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw, now somewhere in there you would interject a, damn, all right? That's how fine she was. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned up Abram, excuse me, so Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. Negro, what have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your woman? Why did you say she is my sister? Allow me to take her as my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of my face. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pimp My Wife, the Old Testament version. So for many of you who are wondering how you become the father of faith, <laughs> you're, you're still wondering. It's like, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that we read about in Hebrews that we're all supposed to be like? Um, so with that, I, I, I want to do some explaining because there's some explaining that needs to be done. But in order to explain that, I, I want to show you a clip from one of my favorite movies, What About Bob? So with that, let's roll this clip, and hopefully this will bring some light to what we're talking about. All right, that is Bill Murray playing Bob uh, Wiley and Richard Dreyfuss playing Dr. Leo Marvin in the comedy classic What About Bob? If you've never seen this, you really owe yourself a real treat by watching it. Um, let's talk about these two guys just for a moment. Uh, just by what you've seen there uh, and what you've heard, Bob Wiley, as it was stated, is a, a multiphobic personality. He is driven by fear. He is afraid of everything. And uh, he's just been given this book, Baby Steps, hoping that that is what is going to lead him into the better version of himself. Now, uh, Let's get to Dr. Leo Marvin. Dr. Marvin, you can tell just a little bit by the way that he talks about himself and just by the way that he treats Bob, that um, he could be like an ass. Um, <laughs> that's, the best way, that's the best way to put it. He, there's definitely something that seems to be ego about him, um, and maybe he is driven by ego, but yet he is extremely intuitive because 
in, he was able to provide Bob with tremendous insight. And unfortunately, the only thing that is cut out of that clip is the thing that he says into his, his pocket recorder right before he says, Bill Bob for the book. He says that Bob is a multiphobic personality characterized by acute separation anxiety and extreme need for family connections. He is exactly on the money. The only thing that he didn't anticipate was that the family connection that he needed to lead him out of, his, of all of those issues was his own family. Bob becomes attached to Dr. Wiley's family. And so these two people both have issues that, uh, that are driving them, but they also have positive things in their life that should be able to lead them out of it. But one of them is headed for a breakdown. One of them is headed for a breakthrough. One of them is about to cross the line and betray themselves. The other one is about to cross what will be a finish line and enter into a better life. Which one? Let's take a look with this next clip. Um, with Dr. Marvin, when you, when you see this movie, Dr. Marvin goes from being this best-selling psychiatrist to committing attempted murder. And he, he loses everything. And he blames everything on Bob. All of this to him is Bob's fault. He doesn't see that the way that he has lived his life, the way that he is so driven for success, that he has separated himself and isolated himself from his son. He talks to his daughter with puppets. So he doesn't even have a true relationship with his daughter. And he has the destruction of his house. It's really not Bob's fault. It is all Dr. Wiley's fault. He, all he can see is what Bob has done, and it has nothing to do with Bob. All of it has to do with him. Bob, on the other hand, has stopped being driven by fear, and little by little, he's coming to this better version of himself by taking baby steps. He's decided that he is going to be led instead of driven. Leo never stops being driven, and he loses everything because he betrays himself. He's the one with all the information. He's the one that has all the insight and the intuition, and he's the one who is on a course of self-destruction while Bob is on a course of reconstruction. When you look at this story about Abram, the reason why I went back a few verses is because way before they ever get to the promised land, they settled. And I found in my life that as much as I want to blame somebody else, and it's not that I haven't gone through terrible things because I have gone through absolutely terrible things, but at the end of the day, I can't blame anybody else for when I settle, when I know that God has spoken to me, when I know that God is leading me and directing me, and I let fear, and I let unforgiveness, and I let hatred 
and islet bitterness, bitterness caused me to settle. And then I want to put the blame on those people that did these things to me as the reason why I'm not a success right now. I blame everybody else. And when I look at what Abram was dealing with, the very first thing where he crossed the line and betrayed himself is when he settled. Yet, even while he was settling, it says that God spoke to him to keep going. And so he keeps going and he gets to the promised land. And yet, it's still, as Corey shared last week, it's still a bumpy ride. There's still some obstacles. The Canaanites are there. And then something else happens. There's a famine. And now, Abram is no longer being led by God. He's being driven by need. And then when he sees the Canaanites and how beautiful his wife is, he's no longer being led by God again. And what God has promised him, he's now being driven by fear. And he betrays himself in the worst possible way by pimping his wife. A wife who, and, and look how this had ripple effects. It didn't just affect him. It affected everyone who was important to him. Because what we read earlier is that Sarai already considered herself barren. And we already heard last week when, when Corey was sharing with us that for a woman to be barren was like a death sentence. It was like the worst thing that a woman could possibly be. So she already is dealing with this, this image of who she is, and now she's following her husband who says he's following God and his instructions that she probably has to believe is from God because after all, he's the one who's leading them and said that God is telling us to go this way, is, baby, in order to save me, I need you to let anybody else have you who wants you and say you're my sister instead of my wife. How do you think that impacts her? I'm sure we'll see some of this later on when God says she's going to have a child. And, and some of her decisions later on are probably reflective of what Abram did, betraying himself. And then who else is with him? Lot. Lot's with him. And Lot has, has heard Abram say that this is God leading us. And Lot has watched Abram settle in, a, in this town for a long time. And Abram, and then Lot sees this compromise happening. And then when we further read down the road, and these are just previews of coming attractions, we see that Isaac, Abram's son, who didn't even exist at this time, ends up doing the exact same thing. He tells this exact same lie to the same person. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob, and his very name means deceiver. And then Jacob have, has children, and these children... Uh, when, when their sister has been, has been raped, but then her rapist wants to marry her, they decide to deceive a, an entire town, and they murder every male in that town. It perpetrates from generation to generation to generation. How many times in my 43 years of youth ministry have I had a student tell me, when I get out of this house, I will never be like my parents? But when they slam the door and leave, 
They are filled with bitterness and they're filled with unforgiveness and they're filled with all these other things and I've seen it go worse for them instead of better. Which brings me to me because this is not all about Abram. Like I said, I was having a conversation with myself and last Sunday was an amazing day, amazing message. I was riding a high and that day ended with my small group with Ed and it was and and Brandy and it was absolutely amazing and I went to bed thinking God you are I'm entering into the promised land and then Monday morning happened and Monday morning I woke up and I had discomfort in my chest and it felt like indigestion and I didn't think anything about it and I figured it's just going to go away in a little bit and it stayed with me all day but I thought, I'm still really not going to be concerned about this until I woke up the next morning and it was still there. And now I'm, it, all the scenarios are running through my brain about what this could be. Why do I have this discomfort in my chest for so long? And so when I come home, I, I buy some uh, baby aspirin and I tell my wife what's going on and I take the baby aspirin and I start to feel better and now I'm thinking, Oh shit, I'm having, I'm seriously having heart attack symptoms. I'm, I'm, I'm having uh, lightheadedness and all of this other stuff. Now, these, all of these things, all these symptoms could be contributed to something else, but at that moment, I just went there. And at that moment, I went into an immediate panic, which was not helping me, because at that moment, I thought, I'm having a heart attack. What if I have heart surgery? What if I don't make it? I have no contingencies for my family. Zero. And I was losing it. And so I called the doctor. The doctor hasn't come in immediately. And it turns out it wasn't anything to do with my heart at all. It was just inflammation on my chest wall. And all I had to do was just take an anti-inflammatory and everything was going to be fine. Except it wasn't fine. I mean. Physically, I was fine, but emotionally, I was at a precipice. I looked at my life at that moment and my age and my options and, at, and the panic that I, because, you know, when we talk about trauma, it says there's only three responses, fight, flight, or freeze. And because of my past, my, my reflex reaction is freeze. And I was freezing. And I was letting this wave of fear just overtake me. And as I was going down that narrative, it wasn't just the fear. It was, look at how you failed. Look at, there's no way you're going to get out of this mess. And so while, as we're talking about this, How do, we, how do you keep yourself from crossing a line? Because at that moment, I was either going to cross a line that was going to send me further into self-destruction and break down, or I was going to put myself on a journey for breakthrough. So the first thing that I had to, I had to just remind myself, and I'm so grateful for what Corey did this morning, is to remind me that God loves me. 
to remind myself that I am not alone, to remind myself not only that God is with me, but that he is holding me right now. I had to just keep saying over and over and over and over again, trust in the Lord with all my heart. I will trust the Lord with all my heart. I will not lean to my own understanding. In all of my ways, I will acknowledge you, God, and you will direct my paths. I had to keep saying over and over again that, God, you have not given me a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. And so I have a sound mind and I can calm down and not do something destructive in this moment right now. And then I had to remember there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with torment and I was being tormented and so I needed to go back to love and recognize that God loves me and, and it's never too late to start and it's never too late for me to get out of this mess. And it reminded me of some training that I went through about um, what's called a breakthrough plan. Uh, but I don't want you to put that slide up just... Well, actually, yes, go ahead. Put up that, that slide. I'm, no, I'm taking you guys further. Um, let me explain a little bit about what it is and then some scriptures, and I'll go into what a breakthrough plan is. But I, I went through this program. Um, Laura, you will love this. Uh, this program is, is designed because when they uh, these these individuals were looking at urban ministry, urban youth ministry. They found when they did the research that the average inner city youth pastor, youth minister, youth director only lasted three to five years. And they either burned out or were just gone because of moral failure. And so when they did that research and uh, did all the due diligence and all the study, they, they created uh, this initiative to help urban youth leaders be in it for the long haul. And so the goal of it was that when you went through all of this learning, you would create a breakthrough plan. And I'll explain what that is in a moment. But some of the training that we did talked about, for example, uh, they, they talked about these three things, strategy, relationships, and capacity. And that strategy is like vision. For your personal life, strategy is your, is your personal vision. For, for work and ministry, it's, it's, the, it's the mission. It's where you're headed. It's where you're going with, that, with the company. But in order to evaluate if you can accomplish that strategy, if you can accomplish your vision, you need to look at capacity. And so I, in, in remembering this, I had to look at my own personal self and look at my personal capacity. Do I within myself have the personal capacity to achieve this vision? And the answer is no. If I take a real hard, honest look, no, there are things that are missing in me that, that is going to be a hindrance and a roadblock to me getting to that vision. So then what I need is the other thing, relationships. Who are the relationships in my life or the relationships I need to build so that I can have the capacity to achieve the vision? And then the next thing that we were taught to do is scenario planning. And this is where... This, this uh, process that I just talked about of my fear went from being, being this enemy working against me to my greatest blessing. Because all of those, everything that I was imagining of, of that, at that moment that could happen in my life and I could leave my wife and daughter with nothing, 
we are encouraged in this process of scenario planning to look at all the determining factors of, of what it will take for you to get to your vision and imagine the worst case scenario. Imagine everything that could possibly go wrong, all the roadblocks, all the hindrances, and then start creating contingencies for each one of those. When you do that and you put all those things together, you have a breakthrough plan. But before I do that, let me read through a couple of, of passages and tell you um, what these are, these things that I, that I, I focus on. Uh, Proverbs 24, 16 says, The godly man may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. The thing that, I, that gives me courage from this story about Abram is not, one, that we're human. That situations come up that surprise us and we are given to fear. And that's okay. It's what we do with it. Will we cross the line and betray ourselves? Or will we focus on the finish line and cross that one? The other thing that we see in this story with Abram is that what God does in spite of us, in spite of how we mess up, in spite of how we make the wrong decisions, God still blesses Abram. And he leaves that situation with Pharaoh without losing his life, but he ends up leaving with more than he had before. I'm not saying that that's a strategy, <laughs> so don't, don't take it the wrong way. But just know that even when you mess up, God's purpose in our lives is still to bless us so that we can be a blessing. The, uh, the next verse that I had to remind myself is uh, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if I could just surrender to God and, you know, in essence say, Jesus, take the wheel, and get myself out of the way, then I can stay in confidence instead of in fear. Let me stop trying to do things and mess it up, and let me just let God lead me again instead of being driven by something else. The next verse is Proverbs 15, 22, that says, with counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. In examining my capacity, if I recognize that I don't have it, I need to talk to somebody else who does have it and not be ashamed or afraid about what I lack. And then the last one, uh, James 5, 16. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. You should always have those in your life that you can completely be transparent and vulnerable with, knowing that they won't stab you, knowing that they won't harm you, knowing that they won't shame you, but will walk with you and lead you out. I've never yet had a situation overtake me 
that it didn't take others to lead me out. And so when you get that, you have a breakthrough plan. And now put up that definition of breakthrough. Because breakthrough means a strategic, significant, sustainable change in the way you live and work. A strategic, significant, sustainable change in the way you live and work. It's taking those small steps towards something that is attainable. It seems a little out of reach, but you can see it. And it's just the small steps that you need to take in order to get there, which sounds a lot like what Dr. Wiley was talking about, baby steps. He said that baby steps is setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time, one tiny step at a time. I am tired of my life being driven by fear. And I've, I've made tremendous strides. And then situations come up and it's like, pop quiz, oops. But I have to see that as not something to destroy me, but something that just gauges where I am and where I need to grow. And so I've gone back to looking at this week, what are the things that I need to do for my breakthrough so that I don't break down? And so with that, we're gonna send you back into your groups and answer this question. What are the things that drive you and what are your baby steps to deal with them? God bless you. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.